Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. But with us, we're to follow the Lamb. We're to follow the Lamb. And, and that's what's amazing about these 144,000 Jews. They're living in a time of tribulation, and they're following the Lamb wherever He goes. Do you realize to follow the Lamb during the tribulation period means that you could be martyred, beheaded for your faith, and that's what the Antichrist is going to do? He's going to take the lives of many, many people. And many are going to disown Jesus during that time. Many are going to deny Christ is their Lord. Many are going to, that were professing Christians are going to take the mark of the beast on their forehead. They're going to take the mark of the beast on their forehand. They're going to deny Jesus. The loyalty will not be there. They're not only known for their loyalty, but they're also known for their integrity. And in their mouth was found no deceit, verse 5, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So look at these people are sanctified. They're known for their purity. They're known for their loyalty. They're known for their integrity. This is the way we should live. You may say, you know what? You don't understand, Walter. You don't understand how difficult it is and the times we live in and everywhere you turn, there's sin and sin. Let me just say that during this time period, sin is going to reach a pinnacle. Sin is going to be rampant. Evilness is just going to ramp up. It's going to be one of the most sinful times that the world has ever known, probably going back to the days of Noah, going back to the days where evil was continually on the thoughts and hearts of men and we're gradually getting there with the inventions of electronic devices and everything like that. It's capturing the minds and the hearts of people, and it seems like hearts are becoming more and more continually bent on evil. But during the tribulation period, you're going to see times where it's just, it's unimaginable. I mean, I can't even imagine when the restrainers removed what is going to be on television I look at some of the articles written about European television right now, and the commercials are actually featuring nude women and nude men, and there's all kinds of things that are happening. It hasn't hit here yet, but it probably is. But I can't imagine the evil and the wickedness during that time, and and yet these remained faithful to the Lord. They were able to remain pure. They were able to remain loyal to Jesus. They were able... To walk with integrity in a world filled with lies. I mean, deceit has become like second nature for so many people, even with their spouses. It's nothing to lie to their spouse. It's nothing to, to call from a cell phone and say you're somewhere when you're at a totally different place. And it, it's just, we live in this culture of deceit where lies are, are just second nature. God calls His people to something totally different than all of that. We're called to live lives of purity. We're called to live lives of integrity. 
Next thing we move into is the four heavenly pronouncements in verses 6 through 13, we see there's four pronouncements that are going to be made from heaven. First of all, I think these pronouncements are meant to give encouragement to those who are faithful. And I, and I think that's what, what we need to understand also in the book of Revelation. It's a warning to the rebellious, but it's also an encouragement to those who are living a righteous life. So it's an encouragement. So the first announcement is the gospel is preached. And that's what's encouraging to me is the gospel is preached in verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of the heavens, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of the water. So during this time, the gospel is being preached. But I want you to take note of two things concerning the gospel. First of all, it's an eternal gospel. It says everlasting. Some of your versions may say eternal gospel. That means the gospel doesn't change. That means that the message is still the same. The content of the gospel will never change. The method may change. The means may change. But the message is always the same. The message is always the same. I mean, they didn't have Facebook back then. They didn't have, you know, Twitter back then. They didn't have many of the social media venues that we have, Instagram, all that stuff today. And we use those as avenues to preach the gospel. If you've got Facebook, you should be preaching the gospel on Facebook. You should be posting scriptures. You should be posting things about who you are in Christ and all of those things like that. And so, so the means may change. I mean, we may use different means today, but the message is always the same. It's the eternal gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb, and then he rose on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, this is the gospel I preach to you. It's the same gospel message. So it's eternal, but it's also universal. It says, I, he preached to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. The gospel is never limited. Even at a time like this, it still goes out to all the nations. In fact, at the end, you remember Jesus said that this gospel must be preached to every nation and then the end is going to come. Well, this angel is going to be preaching the gospel. He's going to be proclaiming the gospel from heaven. That is amazing to me. One of the things I love about Israel when we go is seeing all these different people groups with headsets on. And I mean, you could be at Mount of Olives and you see a people group with a headset on. You're in Jerusalem and you're at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the Garden Tomb and you see these people with headsets on. And it doesn't matter where you go and all these people converge on the Holy Land. Why? Because there's something different. They don't come because it's a great vacation spot. They come because it is God's land. It is God's land. But it always intrigues me because you always run into people that are from different countries. We ran into a couple that was from Germany. 
And they had 400 people there in Israel for a prayer meeting. 400 people from Germany because that week was dedicated to praying for the nation of Israel. But all these different headsets that people are wearing, they're hearing it in their own tongue. They're hearing it in their own tongue. And they're from Italy. They're from Russia. They're from Germany, Czechoslovakia. Ran into some people from Mexico, believe it or not. And they asked them if they knew where to get a good quesadilla. <laughs> because in Israel, the food is all healthy. You don't find special quesadillas and carne asada burritos with guacamole and extra cheese with a few onions <laughs> and a bunch of hot sauce. <laughs> now, don't read into that like I was missing Mexican food when I was over there. But it, it blows me away that even in the Holy Land you see this taking place. And, and in Isaiah 2 it says people are going to come from every nation to Jerusalem and they're going to be leaving with the Torah. They're going to be leaving with God's law on their hearts. And you see that taking place right now. You see them converging in the Holy Land. They're hearing it in their tongue. They're hearing it in their own native language. From every nation, from every nation. And the gospel is universal. That's what I love about it. It's universal. But it does demand repentance and believing. The gospel always demands repentance and believing. And that's what it means to fear God. In that verse, it says that the angel with a loud voice is saying, fear God. That's synonymous with repentance. People that fear God repent. People that don't fear God never repent. They keep living their own lives the way they're going to live. They never give a thought of repentance or the fact that they need to get their life or their heart right with the Lord. But it also requires believing. And that's what it moves into is worshiping Him. Worshiping Him. Worshiping is, is believing. If you believe in God, you worship Him. If you believe He's Creator... If you believe He created the heavens and the earth like it says here, then you worship Him. You worship Him. It requires... Jesus came out in, in Mark's Gospel chapter 1. And He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And believe. Always repenting and believing. Repenting and believing. People who fear God will repent. People who worship God believe. So the first announcement is from heaven is the gospel. The second announcement is the collapse of the world system. Verse 8, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon there stands for the world system. It stands for the evil, wicked religious system. It stands for the evil, wicked political system. It stands for the evil, wicked economic system. Babylon is rooted all the way back to Genesis chapter 10 and 11, where a guy named Nimrod founded it, and he builds this tower, the Tower of Babel. And everything about Babel was idolatry. It was man doing their own thing. And then God comes down, and what does He do? He scatters all the people. And what did they do? They took their idolatry everywhere. It all was anti-God. 
In Babylon, people believed that the literal city Babylon is going to be rebuilt when Saddam Hussein had that aspiration in his heart a few years ago. He was going to rebuild the literal Babylon and books were written, and that's not what it's talking about here. I, and I believe there's going to be a capital, but I don't think it's the literal Babylon. I believe it's speaking, and we'll get more into that as we get into Revelation 17 and 18, but it is indicative of the evil world, political, economic, religious system. Everything that's anti-God is what Babel stood for. And people worship these things. They worship politics. I'm not against politics. We need government. But people have made it an idolatry. I'm so sick of politics today. They just need to elect Grissel as president. <laughs> See, there you got 50 votes. That's a good foundation to begin with. And I mean, we don't even see the corruption, do we? We don't even see the corruption in religion. We don't see the corruption in politics. We don't see the corruption in the economic system. And that's what this is, and it's all going to fall. And that's what we see in 17 and 18. We see the collapse coming. This is the preview of that collapse coming. It's fallen. It's fallen. God has declared it, and He's going to bring it. And it says that merchants are going to weep. They're going to cry because everything they put trust in is gone. Everything in this world that they held weight in, that they put their lives into, that they poured their lives into, is all of a sudden, boom, it is gone. The false religious systems are going to go. The, the wicked economic systems are going to go. The corrupt political systems are going to go. Everything that the Antichrist is going to oversee is going to fall in a moment. The third announcement is damnation for the worshipers of the Antichrist. In verses 9 to 11, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And that verse 12 is calling for the patience of the saints and the perseverance of the saints to keep the commandments of God. And the faith of Jesus to not follow. And we look at something like this and we think it's a movie. And yet the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world today. And sure, you may not have the mark of the beast. Look at all the images we worship. And people do not see judgment coming. They just don't. (sighs) 
It's business as usual. Isn't it? The strongest language of damnation in all of Scripture is reserved for those future worshipers of the Antichrist and Satan. Lord, help us. In verse 13, we see the fourth announcement. And it's blessing for the faithful. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. They'll be rewarded for their works. They'll find what the others won't. They'll find the rest. Yeah, life is difficult. Yeah, it's hard to stay faithful to the Lord. Yeah, it's hard to keep our hands to the plow, but the rest is coming. The rest from our labors, the rest from our trials, the rest from our tribulations, they come. They come. So, I mean, when you look at something like that, where do you fall today? What do we worship? What do we put our stock in? last section begins in verse 14. I divided the chapter, by the way, into three sections based on the words in Greek, don, meaning then I look. So verses 1 to 5, then I looked, it begins in verse 1. Verse 6, then I saw, same one, don. Verse 14, then I looked. And so you've got three different scenes happening here. But this final one is a wheat harvest and a grape harvest. And it's giving a preview. The wheat harvest is giving a preview of the bold judgments that are going to come in detail. Beginning in verses chapters 15 and 16. And then the grape harvest is a preview of Armageddon. We read of it in chapter 16, verse 15. We're going to see it played out. Chapter 19, when the Lord returns. And what I just want to draw your attention to, when it comes to this judgment, this judgment of the weed harvest and this judgment of the grape harvest, is a couple things. I don't want to expound on the whole thing because we're going to talk about those in detail. But what I do want you to see is, number one, who's doing the judging here? If you look at verse 14, then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. So the person executing the judgment is Jesus Himself. The Lamb that you see at the beginning of chapter 14 is the one that's executing the judgment in verse 14, and we know that because cloud is associated with the power and presence of God. And it's a messianic 
term that's used in the Old Testament. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, speaking of the future Messiah, which was Jesus, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then when Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin on trial in Mark chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus said, when they asked who he was, are you the Messiah, the Christ? He said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So Son of Man is messianic designation. Jesus used it quite frequently, by the way. John, one of his great disciples, is using that term here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. There's no question that Jesus is the one that's doing the judging here. The reason I bring that up is because many people only see Jesus as this, this one who is loving, which is absolutely true and absolutely right. He couldn't have displayed his love any more than what he did when he went to the cross, but many people do not see him as the judge. When he came the first time, it was very different than the way he's going to come the second time. At his first coming, he came in meekness as a servant, but at his second coming, he'll come in power as judge. At his first coming, he came in humility and gentleness. In his second coming, he will come in majesty and splendor. In his first coming, he came to seek and to save the lost. In the second coming, he will come to judge and reign. In the first coming, he came as a servant to suffer wrath for sinners but in the second coming, he will come as conqueror to rescue the righteous from wrath. In the first coming, he came to sow the seed of the gospel. In the second coming, he will come to reap the harvest. And so the first thing you need to see there is the lamb is also the judge. But secondly, I want you to see the swiftness of God's judgment. It is seen in, if you look in verse 14, sharp sickle. If you look in verse 17, you see sharp sickle. In both the harvest, the wheat harvest, and the grape harvest, you see that term sharp sickle. Sickle is used seven times in those few verses. And anyone who was a part of their culture would have understood that this meant one thing, and that was swift. When the harvest is ready, they pull out the sickles and they go and they harvest. It's that quick. That's the way God's judgment comes. Even today it comes that way. Somebody gets taken out in an auto accident. It says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. It's swift, and that needs to be noted. That once the hammer falls or the sickle is swung, it's swung. The other thing I want you to see is the word ripe. When I was doing a word study on this passage, there was something interesting that was very, I think, worthy to take note of. The word ripe in verse 15 is different than the word ripe in verse 18. The word ripe in verse 15 is exerno. 
which means dried or withered. In other words, it was suggesting that the condition of wicked humanity had become overripe. It's a picture of men's hearts at that time. It's overripe. tells us that the Lord in His mercy has delayed judgment for as long as possible. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. His desire is just that. He takes no pleasure, Ezekiel says, in the perishing of the wicked. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.